Wow, you guys are in for a treat. <laughs> I think this is arguably my favorite episode of 2024. Of the last season, the last <laughs> season. Well, it's easily the best one for 2024. No, no offense to any of the other guests that we've had, but uh, this one really stood out for me. Um, I almost don't even know where to begin. Leanne is just such a bright light, you know, and I love what she's built. And I love how she's an entrepreneur who decided, Oh, I can do this. And, you know, the conversation we had about how she launches the, her, her endeavor plausible.com was so informative and it was funny to talk to her and, you know, everything, all the stories she tells, you know, the funny things she says, the way I embarrass myself, it was all pretty darn fun. <laughs> we both liked when you froze on the screen for about two minutes. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely uh, a glitch in the matrix during this show, yeah. uh, for sure. But fortunately, I don't think it impacts the value. Like, oh. I wasn't the distraction. And, and so much times technology becomes a distraction like that. It just flowed. And we even were like, hey, you know, we ended up doing more than an hour, which it didn't seem even like it went by in a blink of an eye. And I think it will be for the audience. Yeah, you know, and you just mentioned technology. What I think is fascinating with this insight and her platform, Plausible, is as a stand-up comic, she was saying some things about what she's developed that were like, oh, yeah, like that's what a comic wants as part of the environment. So not only is there the technical thought going into it, but there's the creative element going into it. Yeah, she's really hit on something that's great. And it, it's clear it's just going to grow and become more and more of a venue for uh, both established comics as well as up and coming comics. And I love that. Um before you get into the episode, be sure to click the subscribe button. Also, go to our website and check out our merch and order some merch. And, you know, remember that every time you buy something on mopedoutlaws.com, we make a donation to the Compton Cowboys, which is a really important organization that helps the people of Compton gain skills in the arena of horse handling and what it takes to do the work to have livestock and to, to have a different view of life other than the concrete jungle. And both Greg and I have chosen that charity because it really has meaning for us and we really want to support it. And we were able to do a little bit last year, but we really want to up our game on behalf of the Compton Cowboys. You know, you love this episode. I look forward to um, the next one. See you soon. Two outlaws on the lamb, taking the back roads through America. You can't drink enough coffee for this show. <laughs> and now it's time for Monday Madness with the Moped Outlaws, Greg and Mark. And we're live with Leanne Linsky laughing in the background of our intro. <laughs>
Hey! <laughs> Welcome to the Moped Outlaws, the place where we will take you for the ride of your life. Hang on to your hats, ladies and gentlemen, or your headphones, whatever, and be sure to check out plausible.com. Yeah. You will be impressed whether you're an audience or a comic. You are in for it for sure. <laughs> I have questions about that. Good thing. Um, it's a podcast. There better be questions. All yeah. right. Good. Good. So, Leanne, what have you found works for online comedy, stand up comedy? Like, what have you integrated in plausible? We're getting an echo. Yeah. Um, oh, we're good now. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, what have I created in Plausible? No, or? no. More. There's a there's a Zoom stand up here in San Francisco, and I've checked yeah. it out a couple of times. It seems like there's a definite challenge to bring that live comedy vibrance to a Zoom environment. I agree. I agree. And that's actually why I created Plausible. So back before COVID, I started doing some mics online and I was using Zoom. And although it's fantastic at bringing people together from, you know, remote areas, I mean, it definitely did its job during the pandemic. But when it comes to comedy and entertainment, to your point, it does present new challenges for entertainers. And I was like, wow, you know, there's so many benefits to this. I can't, I, I don't believe I can replicate in person. Like, I think there's a magic to being in person that that's just human. And that, that's, that is always going to be the thing, right? But how can we make that experience online better? So with plausible, we don't have the audio delays or cutouts because one of the biggest complaints that I heard was that comedians would always get this delay and they like have to wait. And that changes up your cadence, your timing, everything. It kind of like throws a wrench and sucks the energy out. And also there's like one way audio. So if someone speaks, nobody else is speaking, but on plausible, we change that and you hear everybody as though you're all in the same room. So if multiple people are laughing and one person's talking, you hear all of that at the same time. And so uh, that makes a big difference. The other thing that I think makes a big difference is how someone's hosting an online room makes a huge difference in the energy. And I think that goes for any event, whether you're online or in person, how you host, greet people, welcome people, take care of your housekeeping can really influence the experience overall. That's very cool. So you had stand-up experience before you launched Plausible or even... Yeah, yeah. So I I took my first comedy writing class back in 2001. So 2000, 2001, somewhere in there. It's been a long time. Yeah. You went up on the stage to open mics and... Oh, yeah. I, I started... I was... I'm originally from Illinois and I went to school in Vegas and uh, college. I finished college in Vegas and I ended up staying in Vegas for 16 years. And so while I was there, I started taking these comedy classes and I performed. I took improv. The second city had a training center in Las Vegas. So I took all of these classes, performed all the time on my weekends and uh, evenings and stuff outside of my day job. And then uh, after 13 years of working for corporate America, <laughs> I, I was laid off in my my friend was like, hey, I'm getting a sublet in New York City. Do you want to come? And I'm like, well, I'll think about it. He goes, you have an hour. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> uh, an hour. So I went outside, went for a walk, came back. I'm like, okay, I'm coming. And a month later, I packed two suitcases. So when I got to New York, 
I ended up immersing myself in classes at UCB and Magnet Theater and all the things, uh, comedy. And then I started running an open mic, which I ran an open mic for seven and a half years in New York City. And then um, I, my last year in New York, I, I was producing weekly shows. So I think I produced 42 shows that year. Wow. And on top of like getting booked in other gigs. And then I moved to the West Coast. I continued producing shows. Um, but I found myself spending more time in traffic. And so that's why I ended up taking things online. And I missed the camaraderie I had with my East Coast colleagues and, and fellow comedians. And so I started doing things online and then COVID happened. Right. And that presented all the new challenges and even like how the screen is laid out. Because if you're in gallery view, I'm sorry, but I'm watching the most interesting person. And it's not always the performer. <laughs> like whoever is walking around in your house, I'm checking out your house, you know. Right, right, right. Whoever thinks their camera's off and they start taking their clothes off, I'm probably watching that person. So, <laughs> yeah. So what, so plausible is a created platform like you're not using zoom or some other it's your own platform wow Mm -hmm. yeah so can you talk a little bit about what it took to develop that and the investment that you have into that like you're an entrepreneur as well as a comic and a producer so what what did it take to build that like an act of god um it was many years i am not someone in my parents garage who is an overnight like look at me i i went in the garage this weekend and created something i wish but that's honestly not how it works so i had this idea like i said before covid in fact in 2014 at the very end 2015 when i moved to california I had considered doing everything on Skype. People were like, Skype? I'm like, yeah, that's silly. <laughs> like, how am I doing that? And then I had been using Zoom for work. I had been working remotely since the end of 2014. And um, and so I'm like, I'll just do it on Zoom. But when I created Plausible, I was like, I, I cobbled together like my own website and this scheduling feature and this and that. And I cobbled all these things together. And I'm like, not everybody has these skill sets. You know, when I talk to comedians, they're like, I just want to show up. I want to do my comedy. Um, so I'm like, but how do we kind of make it easier, more accessible? And so I actually went back to school. I got my master's in innovation and entrepreneurship during COVID. I went back to University of California, Irvine. And from there, I got some mentors and I said, I really want to create this. I'm a non-technical founder. How do I find the right people to to share my vision with and hire these people to to build it? Because although I'm like, oh, I just need a full stack developer, they are not all the same. <laughs> like that is a huge sweeping generalization I quickly learned. And so um it took me uh oh after I graduated I got accepted into an incubator um which is for like early, early stage startups, like where you haven't really built anything, you've kind of tested it with an MVP, uh, a minimum viable product, like what I had been doing before COVID. And then um, they kind of, you know, give you resources and and people to kind of like point you in the right direction. And so I was involved in that. And then from there, I got accepted into an accelerator, which is like the next stage. Like you go from incubation, you hatch, and then <laughs> you get a little further with an accelerator. It's very laboratory-like. You've got to right? provoke all the clone conspiracies now. Yeah. This whole yeah. Thing. At it's the really end, a clone of you, isn't it? 
yeah, I'm going to Scooby-Doo you and rip off my face. Like, that would be gross. Anyway, you went from the incubator into the uh, accelerator. Accelerator, yeah. And I got funding and um, I hired. It took me a long time. I was ready to hire, but it actually took me quite a while to find the right people to hire. And I found a, a fantastic team mm-hmm. um, who I still work with. And they've been amazing and they're great because they understand my vision. And they're, you know, when I met with various people, they're like, why don't you just strap a camera to a back of a chair in a club and stream it? I'm like, okay, you're solving nothing for anybody. <laughs> like people are already doing that. Um, right. So, yeah. So, so anyway, yeah, it's been a long journey and uh, we launched in December with, with the ability for people to create like, their comedian profile. And so what, so a fan can log in, tell us about what kind of comedy they like. So we can eventually make recommendations and everything. They can filter their searches. When they look at the talent directory, they can filter by what kind of comedy they like and see those comedians populate. Um, or they can do the same thing when they look at the show listings and all shows happen in real time. It's not pre-recorded because then you just go to YouTube. Um, but this all happens in real time and you can see and hear the rest of the audience and they can see and hear you and the performer. The performer is performing for an online audience. And um, we don't have gallery view per se, uh, because if I, I'm on stage uh, as a comedian, I can typically see a couple of people in the front row. I don't focus on all the people at once. That's weird. Like I, that would be very hard to do also lights in your eyes. So the way we set up this, the screen layout is designed for that. You see enough people, a handful of people, but you don't have to click and, and go to another window. We have it on a, a scroll so they can, you can scroll with your mouse or your two fingers on the trackpad. Right, so if you do situational comedy, you can get at that, the whole audience through that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. If you want to do crowd work, you can do that. You can bring yeah. people to and from the stage and give them focus. Oh, um, cool. Yeah. So we made it so that the performers are always uh, anchored on one side of the screen and more dominant than the rest of the room so that it doesn't take focus. So if you do get someone in there Blair Witching you, you know, it's not as distracting as <laughs> otherwise. But we also, you know, the, the comedians don't have to ask me permission. Hey, can I do a show? All the tools are there. You just create your free account. We give you a, a free profile page so you can share it like you would your website. You can even, we even added a place where you can promote your in-person events if you choose, you know, on your personal profile page, but all everything that you do on plausible goes into the show directory so that everybody, all the fans on plausible and all the other comedians can access it and have access to that. Um, and then you have ticketing services, so you can set your own ticket price. If, if you're, you know, wanting to sell tickets because, you know, contrary to popular belief, a lot of comedians just don't ever get paid. And what we do, it's a burger and a beer or, you know, some gas money or maybe some tips and, that's not sustaining for people. So um, well, I yeah. think it's important to jump in here and tell people that if you go to plausible P L A U Z Z A B L E.com and sign up now as an audience member, uh, I think you're performing tonight, the 15th, aren't you Leanne? Don't you have a, a show tonight on plausible uh, on Monday nights? Yeah. So, yeah, this was airing on. This will air on the fifteenth. Mm-hmm. That's yep. today for listeners. So go to plausible.com right now. Sign up as a fan, as an audience member, and and see her show tonight, six thirty p.m. 
Um, yeah, depending on your time zone. Yeah, Pacific so, Pacific yeah. time, and that's P L A U Z Z A B L E dot com. Yeah, five p.m. Pacific. 5 p.m. Pacific. Mm -hmm. Yeah, casual comedy. And it's an open mic. We have a group of regular comedians who come in there who are quite hilarious um, from all over the country and sometimes internationally. Um, We have a lot of comedians from Canada. Our Comedian of the Year, we ran a a monthly contest. And then at the end of the year, all the monthly winners competed for Comedian of the Year title. And the audience voted for the winner. And she's from Japan. And yeah, so it's... It's really cool to see it's not people. Not just you doing an hour. You're going to actually have a whole array of talent that you host. Yeah. Are you going to do a set though? Yeah, I usually do a set. Absolutely. And uh, I I usually open and and do a set and then uh, bring each comedian to the stage and they each do five minutes and work out their material. Yeah. I think we're going to have to modify our final question today, Greg. No, we don't. Um, <laughs> we could have a, a different, we could have one with it, but so how do you let, um, someone who's on the stage know like one minute or 30 seconds, you know, wrap up time? I yell, no, I, um, I gong. No, I don't do that. So no, I, the screen. <laughs> I actually have, uh, you guys are familiar with OBS. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I use OBS, like I'm running OBS, my camera through OBS. And for people who are listening, if you don't know what that is, it's a broadcasting software that you can access a free download of, and you can do a really cool thing like this. And then I put this up. My comedian comes to stage. I don't take focus anymore. And then at their time, what happens is, is you'll see, uh, at one minute, they get the light. So it kind of flashes and they get the light, the background turns color. So it's not distracting completely to the rest of the audience. They're just like, oh, look, the screen changed or they don't even notice it most of the time. Actually, a fan recently asked me, how do they all know that their time's up? (laughs) (laughs) You know, that happens. And I bring myself back to the to the forefront and take focus again. Yeah. For those of you just listening, she was able to manipulate her visual screen so that lights appeared, she got smaller, et cetera. Yeah. OBS is a free software for online broadcasting systems. It's available online for free. She said that. She said that. (laughs) We're not selling OBS. (laughs) But somebody probably wasn't listening to me. (laughs) Yeah, like me. <laughs> you don't like, want to put any fingers. But... <laughs> so how how challenging is it for you to have your CEO hat on and then suddenly your comedic hat and are you able to integrate the two? Yeah, a great question. Uh I'd like to say oh it's so easy and the truth is it's not. Um it's it, it's even one way back when I was uh, office manager for Magnet Theater. You know, I would be in the office all day doing all the admin stuff. And then at night I was performing and then the owner would be like, hey, Leanne, there's a customer on the phone, <laughs> like a student on the phone who needs something. I'm literally next to the stage about to go on stage. And I'm like, what? Yeah, it's really not easy to do. And especially with tech, because I'm... I want people to have a really good experience. And if, if I, a lot of other comedians are, you know, they, they're like, Oh, well, I'll book you on my show. And I'm like, Oh, if I show up and I'm doing a set, I can't always be on the phone doing support. If someone's having trouble 
logging in for the first time or, you know, or if they don't know what to do. Um, and so, yeah, it's been challenging sometimes, but, you know, as an entrepreneur, honestly, I, I have to wear all the hats all the time. <laughs> yeah. There's a revenue point at which you can start to hire some IT and, and stuff. How, how far away are you from that? Is it on a percentage basis? You don't have to disclose your revenue, but like, how, are you a year out from that? Or are you six months out from that? Farther than I want to be. <laughs> so, yeah. Farther than I want to be. Um, you know, yeah, that's kind of been a moving target as I go through because, um, in my mind, everything should have happened yesterday. But the, the truth is, is a lot of this takes time and it's, it's a journey. <laughs> I think it's kind of like, uh, honestly, it's kind of like writing my one woman show or writing jokes or writing a new set. It's constantly evolving and it's no different with tech. I think tech is kind of an art in itself because I can create something, but now I have to go get feedback and see how it really works in the real world for all of my users. And then, you know, I make a point, you know, if I'm going to make changes at the, now, like I just, I've reached out to a number of uh, my comedy fans. I want to know about your experience. Where are you running into challenges? What confuses you? And I sit and I go through uh, screen by screen and I get their feedback. And then I ask another one. And, and it's such an important part of the, the design process. Um, so, you know, although I think, oh, I checked this box, I'm ready to do the next thing. And then the people will flood in. Um, that's not always the case. I'm like, oh, I created a roadblock or, you know, now this, this comes up. So to be honest with you, I mean, I have my, my forecast and things like that out there, but I do update them regularly because the, the more we put out there and the more users we get, the more we learn how to do things better. Did you face massage? and resistance as you launched this in, in the startup process. What was your startup experience like from the perspective of patriarchy? Ah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, funny. You can just say yeah. yes and leave it at yeah, that if that's yeah, what you want yeah, to do. Yeah. Yeah. In in weird ways, you know. And the other thing that I I wasn't anticipating, like I I mean I used to work for a construction company, a home builder for many, many years. So do, you know, and then comedy is very male dominated and, and things like that. But what I do find interesting is like, I'm in my fifties. And so in some ways, I think people are like, Oh, you're a little bit older. You're not an idiot. <laughs> but <laughs> nope. <laughs> like, you know, they're like, Oh, you do comedy. You show up with lobster claws as hands. <laughs> what do you know about business? So there's a, you know, sometimes people come in with assumptions based on not knowing what I've done in the past and that I have a lot of business experience or I have degrees or I have an education or I have common sense. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, I, I can't lie. There has been that, you know? Yeah. And what you, world did you, having a great sense of humor play in smoothing over those yeah, challenges? Yeah. That's a <laughs> um, it definitely helps. It probably could have helped more if I weren't in the fetal position, like kicking and screaming. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, it, it, you know, honestly, it, it does play. It, it's a, it's it's not surprising. I'm I don't expect it anymore, but it 
so, so it's disappointing when it does happen. And just when I think that I have a different way to approach those situations, I find myself in another situation and I walk away going, ah, you know, how did I let that conversation take place in that manner? Um, yeah. So, yeah. What have you discovered about yourself on this journey with Plausible that you weren't expecting? Oh, uh, a lot, honestly. You know, this goes back to, I think there there's blessings in not knowing what you don't know. Like, I don't know what I don't know. And thank God for that. Like, because had I known a lot of the challenges that I would encounter or the amount of money that I've invested into this or time and years off of my life, I may have been like, mm, that's a no for me. I'm just kind of like, let someone else solve this problem. But the truth is, I mean, I'm really glad. It is frustrating. Um, it is hard. Entrepreneurship is hard. There is no, uh, there is no like, I'm going to do this one thing and it solves all the problems and everybody's going to love it. And I'm going to make $3 million. Like, I don't know who these people are posting this stuff on Instagram and stuff like that. Like, you know, you podcast, right? You know that it takes time. It takes effort. It is a journey to build your following, to get it right. And to speak to all of these people and entrepreneurship is no different. And I just learned that I'm much more resilient than I had even thought I was. Um, and I'm grateful for my time in comedy and time acting and all the no's. I'm accustomed to no's. So that's, that's like pretty much the norm in my life. So when I do get a yes, that's something to be celebrated. But yeah, I, I'm, I continue to be much more resilient than I thought I would be as I've grown older. I guess I thought that I would be retired by now. <laughs> Rich and famous and finished. Yeah, I don't even care about famous. I just like, you know, I want to like have a garden. I want to go to bed early. I want to like actually sleep through the night with the, you know, but as we get older, we have to get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom 18 times. I don't know what that's about. So yeah. it takes kidneys, Leanne. It takes kidneys. Yeah, those kids. I'm going to start eating kidney beans to help my kidneys. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Plants of those. Yeah. So what is your work hours like? What are you like? Yeah. So originally, I, I, you know, I think about it 24 seven, not going to lie. Um, what I've tried to do now is, is really structure my day. Um, so for instance, I get up at 5 a.m., hit the snooze button, but I'm out the door, you know, within like, uh, 30 minutes of that. Yeah, it's, I'm out the door at nine. Um, <laughs> you know, I actually, I get up between five and five thirty and then I go to the gym and I get a workout in between six and seven, come home, have breakfast and, you know, get ready for my day. So I'm usually at my desk somewhere between eight thirty and nine, you know, and, um, already talking to my team. And then from nine until probably six, six thirty or so, I'm nonstop. And then on weekends, Every week, I'm like, I'm going to wrap it up on Friday night, and I'm going to take a day off. That doesn't happen. Um, I'm still working Saturday, and I'm still working. And if I only put in maybe half a day, I'm 
like, ooh, half a day, what to do? Oh, laundry, there's that. (laughs) It's glamorous, you guys. Again, these people on Instagram posting these pictures in front of somebody else's car. I don't know. I don't know what that's like. (laughs) So, yeah. But that's that's kind of like how my week is. But, you know, if I get important and urgent things that come up, I try to shut down a little bit because, honestly, I'm tired at the end of the day. Yeah. I'm so old. (laughs) So... How do you gear up then for a Monday night comedy? Uh, I uh, get up, walk into the kitchen, do a few laps around the living room, <laughs> and then head back to the old computer. Do some speed. Yeah, you know, do some jumping jacks, things like that. No, I... I, I Coffee I, at 9 p.m. Honestly, my most productive time is in my mornings. So doing doing meetings and shows and things like that. And later part of the day really works for me because right. I'm ready to, to use that side of my brain. Cool. So is there an energy that you get from performing still? That's like a whole different world than, and, and is that what kind of keeps you going? It kind of charges the battery up again. Yeah, it, it actually does. Because when, when I turn my camera on and everything, like I'm, here I am. I'm on. I'm, I'm focused. I shut every other tab down. Um, yeah, it's, it is, it is like putting my mind in that zone and letting myself be pu- fully present for, for everybody online with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm curious about whether you utilize your plausible performances to develop new material or whether you do live open mics to work up the the next set in your reality and then present it to the plausible audience. What's that relationship? What's your farm approach? For me personally, I do everything online. I have not, I have not been outside in years. I I went outside the other day and talked to people and it was awkward. I kept forgetting, forgetting to unmute myself. I'm like, (laughs) it's brilliant. (laughs) Do you have a desire to actually be live in a club or, or something like that? Or is it just, no, there's, that's too people-y for me. Um, I, 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 you know, I went, someone had me present and do some stuff at a live event and once I showed up, I'm like, oh yeah, I, I do, I do love it. I, I and again, I, I don't think we can re- really replace the magic of that. Um, if I weren't doing plausible, I'd probably be doing some combination thereof. But this is kind of my baby, and um, I, it's kind of fulfilling everything I've needed to do. To be truthful, like yeah, I still love going out and and having those opportunities of in person, but I'm doing totally fine, you know, and satisfied with meeting such a variety of other comedians, you know, performing in a different medium. It's funny because as a comic, we're always like, Oh, we want to do late night. We want to do some TV. And then we give someone this in the format of TV. Here's your screen. And they're like, oh, I want to do in person. Right. <laughs> like, What do you like? You know, what do you think is going to happen when you get on TV? <laughs> so, Has anyone stepped up to do that with Plausible, like a Saturday Night Live or a Monty Python sort of sketch scenario? Uh, people, yeah, great question. People are starting. So um, 
a comedian out of Canada, Kelly Zemnikis, she is actually, she just posted her show listing for midweek late night show. And she has the Velvet Duke, who's a musician, and he's going to be on there with her as her second chair. And then she has another comedian, Monica Hamburger, as her guest for this. So she's going to be doing like a late night talk show is set up on um, um, plausible starting February. Is it possible, plausible that someone could experiment with the tech involved and have glitches and interruptions and sort of like a max headroom scenario where the computer's taking over, over in essence? Yeah, totally. Um, hopefully it's not on our end glitches. <laughs> so, no, no, like, yeah. Well, but the programming's there with this platform you've created where, like, I could have a producer and I'd say, you know, at this mark, let's glitch, let's enter in this piece of video that's going to mm-hmm. make it look like things are crashing and this new entity character's going to hit the stage and... Yeah. If OBS, anything is possible, Greg. That's true. That's true. I mean, the limitations of who's the controller of it. Well, you can have a co-host on Plausible. We made it so I can, if I'm hosting a show, I can make someone a co-host so that they actually have the ability to uh, do some of the other things and integrate and bring other people to the stage, mute people, you know, similar to what you might find in other um, services. But go ahead. Yeah. That's what I guess my question is, is how much admin level am I giving as a user coming into the plausible platform as a comedian or as a fan? Well, no, as a, as a content creator. Okay. Yeah. So let's say you're hosting, uh, during the live show, you can live stream to YouTube from plausible to YouTube. You can record, uh, and publish on plausible or download and then, edit and distribute clips however you want. You can um, change your background settings, your audio and all that. You can integrate OBS and we have free help sessions for fans and comedians to help you do all of that and to figure it out because we just had a bunch of people show up the other night and they're all like, oh, can we do this? Can we do that? Can we?" Because they want to do maybe some long form improv shows and things like that. Right. And we're like, those can you can definitely do that. And then if they talk about some other features that they might be interested in, I always take note so I can talk to the team like, how can we implement this or what are some you know other options if we can't do it right now? Things like that, because. We want people to explore. We want our users to have fun. So people have experimented with like doing their podcast and then bringing in a live audience as they interview their guests and then doing Q and A's and things like that, giving kind of like a VIP vibe to it. Um, doing improv and stand up. Someone just, uh, ran a show doing that the other night as something different, which I think is really cool. So you can bring people to and from the stage. You can, um, Integrate the OBS, run video. You can, you know, OBS, I can run video. Like, I'll give an example for people who see us, but people who hear us, you can do stuff, you know, right? Okay. So I can do all those things. So I can create a whole intro and outro to my shows. 
and and bookend it and all of that and decrease the amount of editing or something that I might otherwise have to do. Mm-hmm. You can take over our podcast. <laughs> yes, I could. You can bring your podcast to Plausible and then have your super fans come and join you. Um, well, that's very cool. And it's cool to hear that you guys are very open to the experimentation and creativity yeah. that people are bringing to Plausible. Absolutely. I wonder if we lost Mark. I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. We just, you're frozen. <laughs> my my browser crashed, so I'm gonna leave the show and come back. All right, all right. Hey, um, <laughs> this is like, a wild day. <laughs> he's very still. <laughs> I know. I thought, boy, he's gone into a trance. Um, <laughs> You are now a dog. <laughs> My <Yeah>. voice. <laughs> it was that clip you had. Yeah, I had subliminal messages in there. It's like you are now frozen. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, maybe it's my mic that's echoing. Anyway, now it's gone away. Um, so as you're doing this, you did say this is your baby, and you did say how much of the, your life this is taking. Yeah. It seems like you do, like the seed of all this has been your interest as be having a career in the entertainment industry. Do you have time to put energy into other potential avenues? Uh, no, this is really it. I really, honestly, I really believe in it. I'm very excited. Um, you know, just the feedback and the, the return, the return users that I have and the, the amazing community that continues to grow on plausible. Like this is, this is the avenue I want to go and continue down. I want to continue making comedy accessible to people outside, you know, all around the world, but in between New York and California and people who don't have as much access to it as others and bringing those people together. Are you monitoring our audiences coming in from other countries around the world? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so we do have more fans registered on, on plausible than we do have comedians. That's we have considerable good. about more fans on there. And what, what I'm excited about is the more comedians that are producing and posting shows and telling their fans about it, their fans come in and then their fans are like, Oh, there's all these other comedians on here too. So the other comedians pick up people who might not otherwise have found them and vice versa. And it kind of builds rather than everybody being into an island onto themselves. Yeah. Will you still do a show if you have an audience? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Are you kidding me? I've done shows for one person in person. I will not cancel a show. I will never cancel a show. Yeah. So yeah. Before we started recording, that reminded me of Cat Williams because I heard an interview with Cat. It was actually a friend of his years ago who said Cat was starting to put on shows in L.A. and no one showed up. And the friend was like packing up. Well, let's go. Cat's like, no, I said, I'm doing a show. I'm doing a show. And he did the whole 45 minutes. And then the next week, maybe two or three people showed up. Um. Did you see that interview with Kat that blew up the internet about a week ago? 
No, I did not, but I will certainly go back and check it out. And I love that because that is exactly how I feel. I will not cancel a show, even if nobody shows up. Why wouldn't I continue to perform? Like, that's what I'm there to do, right? It's an opportunity. And if no one's there, then practice. Use that space. Use that room. Put it on. I remember there was a show at the Grizzly Pair in uh, when I was living, still living in New York, and I was booked in it. And several of us comedians showed up, um, obviously, uh, to do the show. But we were there a little bit early, and the bookers were really frustrated. They're like, we can't get anybody in the back room to watch the show. We've been outside barking for, you know, however long. And, I, and they're like, we should just cancel. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, I, I, I am here. Like, let's go. And I remember one of the comedians was like, well, I'm not going to host it. I'm going to go. I'm going to go get some spots at a mic or something. And I said, well, or I said, I'll host it. And then she's like, okay, well, I'll do my set. People stayed. I said, I'll host it. Um, and so I said, I'll go get some people. So I went and I talked to some people at the bar and they said, let's get a drink. We'll come in. So I just went in. We started the show. I'm like, I don't, I don't care if they see something's happening. They're more likely to come in. But if we sit around and wait, they're going to be like, well, what's the hurry? So I just went in. We started the show by the end of that. I don't know, hour and a hour and a half. The place was standing room only. Wow. That's awesome. And I, I got off stage and you know who gave me a hug? The comedian who was going to bounce. Tracy Morgan. Oh, wow. I was like, so, but you know, it was really dark and there was all these people and people were like, hey, great set. Hey, great night, blah, blah. And someone gave me a hug. And my friend goes, you realize that Tracy Morgan just gave you a hug and said, good job, right? <laughs> I was like, what? So, um, I mean, you know, and that's, that show is almost canceled. Yeah. So you just never know. Who's going to show up, who that one person is or who that one person is connected to or what that one person's, you know, social media post can turn out to be. You never know. But every opportunity to perform, that's what I want to do. And I'm passionate about why would I pass it up? So when you're curled up in a fetal position, <laughs> ready to just give up on everything, does that experience come to mind and give you the energy to unfold, yeah. stand back up and? Yeah, I mean, I think absolutely. I, I mean, even when I was running my mic in New York, I started at, at the Magnet Theater and eventually moved it to Identity Bar. And then um, Identity Bar shut down. So I found another place that week and it was at the M White Bar. And we were there for like a year, year and a half. And then one day I showed up maybe 40 minutes before my mic and there was a lock on the door. Their liquor license had lapsed or something. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I have all these people coming for my mic. I got to find a place. So I hopped on the train, went a couple stops down uh, to Lower East Side. And I just started walking along all the busy spots where all the bars are. And I looked for a place that maybe we could wedge in uh, a mic and a, and a stand or something. And there was an empty bar. It was real nice. It was open to the sidewalk. And I walked inside the bartender. I said, hey, you need some business? He's like, yeah. I go, I run an open mic. I've got people coming. Can I redirect them here? The other bar closed. He's like, yeah. He went to the back room, pulled out a mic stand, pulled out a mic, set it all up. And by the time my my regulars all came down there. We had a place. We never missed a, a mic. Damn. So you've had tenacity from day one. <laughs> yeah. Like you have to. And it's not to say like, I'm not frustrated. Right. I'm not going to lie and say, I don't have those feelings of frustration or, 
feel defeated every night. I'm human. Of course I do. Of course those things bother me. But at the same time, as much as they bother me, they drive me to get back. It's not how many times you get knocked down. It's how many times you get back up. Can you talk a little bit about that process of moving from that low energy in shifting it? What is it that that is that has people, successful people, particularly entrepreneurs and performers, able? What is the process that takes you from hell back to purgatory and and above? (laughs) Jesus. Yeah, I don't really know what else I would do. I, I believe in what I'm doing. I believe there that. Plausible can help a lot of people. Um, if, if, if I, I think it's, I just believe, I, I'm, I guess I'm a problem solver, <laughs> whether I like it or not. I just, it's like, okay, this is what is happening. There has to be a way around it. What is that way around it? Okay. This is an obvious choice. That's not working. This isn't like, I have, I, I don't know. I just, I can't continue taking no as an answer. It's like, okay, maybe I'll accept a no from this person or this person or this person. But if I knock on enough doors, eventually one of them is going to open. And when I look at very successful people, again, it's not overnight success. It is, it's persistence. It is, um, it's not even the most talented people that make it. It's people who can withstand, you know, all of the, the no's. And I feel like a life in the arts or, acting uh most of the time that's what our life is is no's and rejections and it this part's for not for you that part's not for you but the truth is is my job as a as an actor is auditioning and if i happen to get a call back yay me you know but there's a lot of reasons we might not get called back uh it might be we're not good it could be um i'm not right for that role it could be that person wasn't paying attention during my audition. They were texting. It could be I reminded them of their ex-wife. <laughs> I don't know, you know, but um, I don't always know what's going on in someone else's mind or, you know, I can't figure out whatever the reason the bar closed. That's not my problem. My problem is how do I keep moving forward? And I just have to find a way to keep moving forward because staying here is not good. So, yeah. What's the difference between vulnerability and thick skinness? What? That doesn't make sense. In the context of perseverance, of going against it every time you get the no, there's a guy who gets who has a thick skin about it, or a woman, and then there's the opposite, in my view, of they're vulnerable enough to keep trying. And do you think that's a real distinction? Yeah, I think, I think what popped into my head is, is I think purpose, right? How, how, what does it mean to you? If something's not that important to me, I'm not going to be persistent. If it doesn't truly matter to me, or maybe I don't truly believe that's for me, you know, like, okay, if I were doing something related to football, I would have gave up a long time ago because football isn't something I know, nor is it something I kind of care about. Sorry, no offense to, to football. I think there's <laughs> obviously there's value to it. And I do watch the occasional stuff, but I'm just trying to find something like I don't know anything about it. I'm not like I don't have um, an attachment to it. So I think there's a difference there. So I'm more willing to be vulnerable to something for something that really matters to me. And I've been doing comedy for so long 
And I've spent so much time talking to other comedians and watching comedians and studying comedians and taking umpteen classes, some of them two and three times each, that I feel like I've put in the time and the hours and I truly believe that I can help people and I want to help people. And that for that, that is what motivates me. If I were to totally switch and get a job doing something else, I don't, and it didn't have something to do with comedy or something that I was so passionate about. I don't know. I mean, obviously a paycheck is an incentive, but to, to put the time and the, the years and the other things without the money, that's a question. Would you do this without the money? Because as an entrepreneur, you should expect that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Can I ask um, well, here's what I'm wondering. Whitney Cummings put out her last special on OnlyFans TV. And part of what she said is she liked it because they weren't censoring her. There was no producer concern of you can't say that. We're not going to put that out publicly. How is plausible holding this whole realm of kind of cancel culture and a creative's desire for freedom of voice. Yeah. So the way plausible is set up is like, we're the software, right? And uh, similar to Zoom or Google Meets, like they're not telling you, you can or you can't do on this. We've created it specifically for comedy. And obviously within our terms of service, my legal team would say specifics about that. Um, but we comply with uh, the law on hate speech and things of that nature. But am I censoring people in the sense of like, you can't talk about politics or you can't talk about religion. No, I am not. I think um, that's another reason we put filters in so that people can choose their preferences of what kind of comedy they could like. And then also at the end of each performance, when the, when the host comedian closes the show or when a fan leaves the room, they get a pop-up box, leave your feedback. And it's not in general, it's not for plausible. It's for each comedian to mm-hmm. give feedback and a star rating like you would a Yelp and be like, hey, I really like that you address this topic or I really like the way you work the room or I really, whatever that is. But the mode here is to be constructive and to talk about that. And also, if you don't like that comedian, don't go back to that comedian show, you know, like make choices, people (laughs) make choices. There's a big distinction between what uh, Canadian um, hate speech is and U S hate speech. We're better at it. Do you, well, do you find that? (laughs) Well, hate speech is the same, but the laws are different is what I mean to say. And so my question is, do you have to go to the lowest common denominator for Canada as opposed to just being having a general, you know, policy that's the plausible policy? Mm-hmm. And how do you conform to different laws in different countries since it's a website and it's international? That is a, an excellent question. Um, I know our terms of service, we have lawyers here in the U.S. and we're headquartered in the state of Washington. Um, and so they put that together based on that. When it comes to compliance in other countries, that is a question I would, I would honestly ask my legal team of how a situation like that, because I think it would be specific to the situation and an instance, um, and how that would be handled and where that I don't know. Yeah. Do you, do you have their number? 
<laughs> I do, I do, I do. I'm, I'm kidding. I just thought that was we, the funniest I thing I could say. We, we did have long discussions, and uh, there was a lot of time spent researching this. And this is honestly a new area in so many ways where these – uh, platforms, it's so new. And when we look at the lawmakers, they're not tech people. And so they don't have a full understanding of what tech provides. And so, you know, we read in the news all of the time of these, uh, you know, what is going, you know, how is this going to be regulated? How is this? And I think it's a, it's, it's evolving and will continue to evolve as, as technology changes. And that's something that is very important. Um, it's a very important part of of tech, obviously, but I think there's a lot of instances and, and possibilities of what could happen versus what is actually happening. I want to ask you a question about what you would tell up and coming or or people who want to be comics. What are the like first three or most key things that that you would say to them as they enter into the plausible space or this this endeavor of being funny? Uh, I would say go for it. You know. I say, go, go to an open mic, uh, take a class. Uh, we're going to be offering, we have comedians who are going to be offering some classes on plausible. If that's of interest to you, a lot of people say that doing something online is a little bit less threatening. Um, obviously, uh, so, you know, take, try it, you know, you don't have to commit to a life in comedy. Like a lot of us have, uh, just, in order to do it, you can attend one mic and put it out there and see how that goes for you. I'm happy to say that the open mics and stuff that we have online um, are super positive. The community is very supportive. You don't have to create a comedian ap- account if you want to do something like that. You can show up as a fan and do it. But it's very different experience writing a joke than it is being funny in front of your friends. And oftentimes people are like, oh, my friends always tell me I'm funny. I should be a comedian. And comedians are like, oh, that hurts my soul. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know? But if you feel motivated that's a lot of times all the push you need and then you can learn the art form because there is a lot to learn about writing a good joke and for me i think it's really fun it's really and then you put your sense of humor against the meat grinder of what it really means to be a good comic writer (laughs) yes Yes. and going back to your question about thick skin or vulnerability i think you have to have a great combination of both you have to be super vulnerable to put it out there and have a very thick skin when people tell you you suck (laughs) (laughs) and be able to laugh like that (laughs) do you have a favorite joke like just a quick one-liner that you've written that you really like that you can share with us yeah i have a corny one that i love to share uh So uh, flip-flops are what I consider to be the booty call of shoes. They're easy, they're convenient, but they're there, never there for you in the long run. <laughs> so <laughs> I like it. That was like solid. <laughs> um, so do you think that Chevy Chase was the last pratfall slapstick comedian to be successful? What happened to slapstick? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think when you said Chevy. Uh, I think Marley was really good at slapstick. Yeah. I think think there are still some people out there that are good. Um, What's his name? Um, Elf. Um, Will Will Ferrell. Ferrell. Will Ferrell's good at slapstick. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's physical comedy is kind of the heading, right? Right. 
Yeah. But slapstick has this kind of Pratt folly kind of kind of part to it. Yeah. You know, I think um, the clowns of Cirque du Soleil use a lot of Pratt fall and Commedia dell'arte. Yes, they do. And I have uh, uh, one of my former instructors and friends when I was in Vegas studying, he actually studied in Ringling Brothers um, and came up that route in clowning and then became a professional clown, uh, went through Second City, was a Second City performer, was fantastic, and then went on to write Cirque shows. And what I loved about him is a lot of times people think about physical comedy as being super like wacky, 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 you know, right? But what I really learned from him is that his name was Joshua uh, it, and Joshua Zayner. And he, what I loved about him is he could walk on stage and just with a certain tilt of his head, completely take focus from everybody else on stage. He could do an entire scene without saying anything and we'd just be mesmerized by him. And I think it's not necessarily being wacky, you know, but he brought it to, it's it's having this presence. And I just was, I've just always had so much respect for that because he could do such, um, speak so loudly without saying a word. Yeah. That's amazing. That's powerful. Yeah, exactly. Poor little sad Mark. Mimes are the hidden genius of comedy. Is that what you're saying? Yes, mimes are the hidden genius. <laughs> of course. Robin Williams. We must oh, keep yeah. them locked in the closet. That is the place for mimes. <laughs> no, there was not like, you know. Like the glass closet, of course. Yeah, yeah. I'm in this box. Why am I in this podcast still? (laughs) Yeah. See, I just speak loud and say nothing at all. (laughs) That's me. (laughs) Oh, I bit my tongue right there. (laughs) Right? See, that goes back to, wait, is this little lady still talking? Let me go clean my bathroom. (laughs) That was where I was going to (laughs) go. Um, so have you heard Mark, from- Mark dropped off he's like I gotta go run an errand I'll be back she's still talking you got this Leanne just close it out for our uh, our moped outlaws we'll let you take the lap on your own no I'm sorry my <laughs> speaking of which have you ever ridden a moped uh, yes, I actually did and ran it right into a building. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> you should be up there on our show. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was in Italy, and I don't know if you've ever been in Italy. It, there are no rules of the road, and it's just like thousands of people. Uh, so you decided to ride into a wall? Um, I, I, I was trying to park. <laughs> <laughs> So it was this kind of a slow motion collision. You hit the gas instead of stopping. Yeah, a little bit. It was a it was a big curb that I I leapt over and then smacked into a building, and then people were like, "You stupid American!" And I'm like, "How'd they know?" <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is brilliant. That's a good story. 
Yeah, thanks. That was hilarious. It it cost me 450 bucks to get my ID back and everything. The guy yelled at me for like 20 minutes. And the funny thing was, is he was yelling at me like, call your rich parents in America. I'm like, I'm 30 something years old. My parents are being like, no. So there's a backhanded compliment. Yeah. yeah. So did you really damage the body and the, the the moped? Was it severely damaged? Is that why you had to pay 450 bucks, or was it just um, because they wanted to teach you a lesson? Maybe all of the above. Uh, we did walk it back a couple miles. <laughs> so. That is that significant. Yep. Damn. Okay. So who were you with on this trip to Italy? I was with my friend Stephanie. Um, it was kind of a one of those things where I decided like, I'm going to take a trip. And I, this is after a, a second divorce. And I was like laying on the floor fetal position, like this feels terrible. Why is this happening? And then I was like, I need to change my life. I need to change me. So I'm going to do everything different. And I'm going to make a list of all the things I thought I should do and never did because I thought I should be married instead. So I was like, I should go to Europe. So I went into work and I was pulling building permits uh, at the county and the the girl who always worked a counter uh, and approved my permits for building was uh, Stephanie. And so we're just chit-chatting. She's like, what's new? I'm like, I'm going to Europe. She's like, where? And I'm like, uh, Italy. <laughs> she was like, oh, I've always wanted to go. I'm like, you want to go? And she's like, sure. I go, she's like, when are you going? I go, mm, July. <laughs> I just made it all up. And she's like, okay, uh, when? And I go, I don't know, pick a date. She goes, all right. And the next day she's like, I got time off. I was like, oh, I <laughs> okay. Wow. And, and I got a Fromer's guide because it's before the internet. And, uh, and then I faxed, uh, a hotel reservation, which they, I found out when we got there that they never got. <laughs> so we just showed up. Wow. Yeah. So you didn't have a reservation when you got there? No. And it was peak season, I found out. July is peak season for holiday in Europe. <laughs> no. um, what Was that a healing experience? Just sort of this off-the-cuff adventure? Yeah, it was actually really, really fun. Uh, again, it's like you don't know what you don't know, and I learned a lot <laughs> through that. And we really lucked out. We ended up finding a place to stay in these really cool little uh, bed and breakfasts and things like that uh, by chance. So we really lucked out, but we had a blast. And it's funny because I only knew Stephanie through work, through the you know when I pulled these building permits, right. and we had never hung out before. And people were like, oh, you guys have been best friends for life or your sisters or you're related or something. And we're like, nope, <laughs> we had the best time. And then we never really hung out again, but we had. Really? I, That's so, wild. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. What an adventurous person you are. Yeah. I'm going to build a whole comedy platform. It's exactly my specs. I can do that. And I'm going to, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And, uh, um, this is kind of a left turn. Hang on to your headphones. I want to know if you think there's something about your ability as a coach that makes you a better comedian. Is there an intersection between understanding human dynamics and understanding and writing good comedy? And the show killed yeah. itself. Wow, wow, wow. Why did I get a coffee? Um, yeah. So you mean because you know that I was doing coaching for a while, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, you did your research. Um, I think it definitely helped. And it's it's really funny that you asked that. You're really making me think because when I I had been doing comedy for so many years. And then when I started podcasting, I created this podcast that is called like Life Laughter Divorce. <laughs> I thought everybody's got a divorce story. This is going to be so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I was like, this, this is like, nobody's doing this. Why is nobody doing this? Probably. Uh, so, but I thought it was this brilliant idea. And I'm like, we're going to do this podcast. So I, I, I booked a bunch of guests, like three, a bunch. And I recorded them all within like 24 hours of each other, or whatever. And my now husband was, was with me because he's like doing all the audio and everything. And he was like, so what do you think? And I'm like, well, that wasn't what I expected. And he's like, nope. <laughs> I'm like, it, like no energy. So sad. People were telling me the worst, like the most the horrific stories of like domestic abuse and like, like just so many bad things. And I'm like, this isn't funny. And these are comedians that I'm talking to. And so I, w- I, I instantly went on the internet and I'm like, how do I learn how to talk to people on a different level? Because I don't want it to feel forced, like, ha, 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 you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, you again. <laughs> like, you know, jail, you know, all these things. And I was like, um, how do I, wow, I, I need to obviously, to. I'm so used to talking to people, talking at people from a stage. I need to learn how to talk with people. And that's actually what spurred my interest in coaching. And I started researching. I knew I didn't want to be a divorce coach because I don't want to like encourage that behavior also. <laughs> but I, um, I, I, I knew I want to do something and I ended up reaching out to a woman. Uh, her name is Deanna, Coach Deanna at Coachville. And we had the most wonderful conversation. I'm like, that's, I felt so like I got off the phone. I'm like, I feel like I know this person for my entire life. I'm like, that's, that's what I want to do. I want to make people feel safe and, um, taken care of in a conversation and and how can I do that? And I ended up spending years going through coach training with Coachville and it was just wonderful. And I find that it's improved relationships and the way I talk to people and show up for things. Um, you're like, I haven't seen any of that here in our podcast. How does that make you a better comedian? Because I want to know. Um, yeah. So I, I think it will, Oh, um, Better in the sense of uh, the way I read a room or the way I watch and observe and learn from other people and their stuff. Um, I just I think I listen differently to that degree and, and pay attention to things maybe I overlooked before. All right. Here's another left turn. We're going to build a box here. Box you in. Um, what have you adapted about yourself that is bringing success to your third marriage that you didn't have in your first and second duct tape and bungee cords it works you know hey if it works <laughs> for you or for them <laughs> i can't get away right now. um yeah in a basement with a locking key um that's right I- <laughs> We, we actually did the podcast together and, and, um, 
he he has never been married before, but I spent a lot of time really working on how I was showing up. And like, let's say if we've had an argument or something, I would say, can we put pause on this? And I can go and like, think about my response because I know if I respond the way I've always responded to these situations, I'd probably destroy it. I'm not kidding. And I would actually go phone a friend. I'm like, I'm, you know. <laughs> I get that phone a friend help line or something and be like, I want to say this, but what, what other options are there? And then walk through them. And I started, um, really paying attention to my reactions to things or if I would get bothered by something or things that would normally bother me. I just started taking a really hard look at that instead. And I had told him up front, like when we first met, because we met at a Starbucks and I had said, I just got out of a kind of a really terrible situation and I don't want to do that again. So <laughs> here's where I'm at. And if you're just you're like, don't mess with me. If, if you know, I don't, I don't need any extra drama in my life. And he's like, no, I'm cool. And went along for the ride. And, um, you know, it wasn't always easy for him. Cause I'm like, he's like, you're not saying anything. I'm like, Oh, you don't want me to. <laughs> This is a good moment. Anything for once, and so I think it was. It's just me. I really took a long, hard look at myself. Yeah. Yeah. Man, it's so lovely to talk to you. I just want to keep asking more questions. I know, right? Exactly. Are you good to go a little further, Leanne? Yeah. Yeah. Ask away. Awesome. Um, What are like some of the biggest bombs? moments that you've had <laughs> there are so many you really you like, ask how much time i have i have all day now <laughs> it's like through. the top the one of the most memorable ones and and what what about it was was so devastating and and soul crushing yeah what are the, the biggest <laughs> stupidest situation I, like people ask me and this always is the first thing that comes to my mind my friend roland and i uh we had taken classes together at the second city in Las Vegas. And of course, you know, when you're in improv classes, what do you do? You put together this improv group. And so we immediately put together this group and all about matching t-shirts or something. Cause that's what you do. Cause that's going to make it a good show. Um, color we're looking for the t-shirts. Yeah. And I would, I was super excited. I'm like, I'm going to go book shows. So I booked a show for like, I don't know, the Lions Club or something. And they were paying us. Like we were horrible. We were like level one, but we thought we were rock stars. We're like, watch this magic translate, you know, take place. So I booked this. Uh, I think I booked this. It was a, like a Lions Club. There were hundreds of people. It was outside in a parking lot and it rained that Ooh. day in Las Vegas. Right. And nobody in Las Vegas knows how to behave in the rain. And we because we booked this like but we had like six or seven people in our troop, you know, our improv troop. And two of us, Roland and I showed up the rest of them not to be seen nor heard. And we're like, wow, how is it that we booked a show and promised like this cast and two of us are here and Roland and I are standing outside this fence looking into this, you know, it's one of those, <laughs> what do you call a cyclone fence? You know, and we're just like hanging on the little wires and looking in and we're like, we've Lambs got to the slaughter. <laughs> yeah. And we're like, wow. I go, we have to. And he had been doing stand up for years and he's like, uh, I guess we could go in. I'm like, let's go for it. And we went in and, you know, we have to do all the scene work. <laughs> 
with two of us. And it and it's just hundreds of people and they hand us a microphone. You don't improvise with microphones. And so here we are with a microphone like, hey, you know, <laughs> back and forth. Like, how are you? I am fine. Isn't this a funny situation? Yes, it is. And all these people are yelling, we can't hear you. Oh and we're just like, God. is our time up yet? You know, it was like, waka, waka, waka. Wow. You know, like, no. Oh, it was and I think the guy finally just took the mic. He's like, and goodbye. <laughs> wow. Did you get paid? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we got paid. We're like, we got paid. But we were so angry that these other people didn't show up. I'm like, I will never book them another thing. So then fast forward, I think I booked us at a halftime show for a basketball game. Also a terrible idea. <laughs> Nobody wants to do anything but hear some music or see some cheerleaders at halftime. But here's like six of us and we get there and everybody's like, this is a bad idea, Leon. This is a bad idea. I'm like, this is so cool. Look at all hundreds of people in the bleachers. And they're like, nope. And we get down there and we're, they're like, and now we have, uh, I think we're called the Sandbox Association. <laughs> the Sandbox Association is coming down here to perform. And we get down there and again, like no microphones <laughs> and a gymnasium with like people milling about going to the bathroom and getting hot dogs. I don't know what was happening. And we get done and they're like, that was the worst humiliation of our lifetime. <laughs> I'm like, but we have matching t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> And then, I love it how you tell these stories about the, how you bombed, and they're just hilarious stories. <laughs> oh my god, they're ridiculous! I if someone asks me like, "What's your best time?" I'm like, "Oh, I don't know." Which <laughs> 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 <don't> <laughs> is like all the worst things that could possibly happen. We we also did a, a show for. I don't know, a private show. And we had like a really well-known comedian that we were opening for. <laughs> and we broom, tanked the whole show. And we're like, and there's the stage for you. We'll there you go. We'll help you clean <laughs> up. Did you get shit from the comedian? Uh, no, he was, he's super professional, very well known and, and did a, you know, he, he you know, he was just like, he forgot about us as quickly as. You know what I've noticed? I've done a little stand-up, and I've noticed how someone who's really good can warm up any room. Yeah. You know, I've seen, like, a room that was just dead for 40 minutes, and a guy hops on or a girl hops on and yeah. kills. And you're like, wow. That's yeah. what that's what practice does. So true. And practice is everything. Yeah. yeah. I want to ask you about the technique behind writing a good joke like what's the short version of what it takes what the process of writing a good joke is a big eraser (laughs) (laughs) seriously get economical with your words the worst thing like I, i do this i'm guilty of this and anytime i go off script and like try to like throw some extra stuff in there it's terrible um Writing a good joke can start like I do like a thought dump, like here's an idea and I write it all down. Right. And a lot of people will come to a mic like I have this idea or this funny thing happened. And then they tell us this really long story and it takes us five minutes to get there. And and Mark has gone to the bathroom twice and come back. and We're still not at the funny thing yet. Right. And and so it's really important to be economical with our words and get to the point. We should have a laugh every 
couple every minute or so. I don't know. There's like different people say different things, but I should not have to wait that <laughs> that long for the payoff. And um, so when I write a joke and I write it all out, then I go back and I'm like, where is the funny? What is actually making this funny? And I get rid of everything that isn't contributing or setting it up and knocking it out of the park there. You know, like if I told the joke about flip flops or what I consider to be the booty call of shoes, if I said, hey, I wear flip-flops a lot. You know what flip-flops are? Flip-flops are kind of like a booty call. It, stop talking, Leanne. It's like shorten that up. Get to the point. People have an intention span of a that, you know. And then they're easy. They're convenient. They're there for you in the long run. I don't need you to explain each one of those things to me. I don't need. But I may have written four or five pages, you know, like working out what words, what word order, what sentences can I eliminate? What's not important? What is the point? What's actually funny to get two sentences that go back to back? And also the other big thing that I think is important in joke telling is if I can't repeat it word for word, then it's to me, it's not a good joke because I have to get up on stage and say it without having to think about it. And if I have to think or search my mind for for clunky words or things, you know, and writing, once I write it, then I have to practice saying it because we often write for reading, but we don't write for speaking. And if I say something and I trip over the words all the time, that means I have to rewrite it because now I've just ruined the joke. So I have to write for the way I'm going to speak. So then I have to go back and maybe alter some things, switch some words around and see what word I land on. So to me, it's a fun game of wordplay and rearranging a room. Would you say most of you, your work for you personally happens off stage or on stage? Mm, I say probably the majority is off stage because it's a lot of coming up with the ideas Um working it out, writing it, going to open mics, you know, polishing it, that kind of stuff. And then the on stage is a smaller percentage of that. And I think that always goes back to like, even being an actor, the majority of my time is spent rehearsing, auditioning, putting myself out there. And then the small part of that is actually booking the gig and doing the gig. Right. Yeah. But it could go like, I've heard Tig Nataro say that most of her work happens at the open mic on stage. You'll have, a seed of an idea, then she goes out on the stage and works it out. Yes. So to the point of being on stage, if I, um, I wasn't including an open mic as like being a, a on stage performance, but yes. So I include open mics as part of my writing process. And so that on stage, I agree with her, like that a lot happens at an open mic and working that out at an actual performance or a book show. Um, I should have that pretty dialed in. Right, right. Yeah. 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 So you are saying that you'll take seeds of ideas onto an open mic and that the brunt of the work happens in that live moment. Yeah, it can. I've done that quite a bit on my some of the online open mics that I've been doing uh, more than I used to in person. So so yeah, I I can see that. And I see that with a, a lot with other comedians as well. They do even even when I was running a, a room in person all those years. You know, I think it depends on the person. Sometimes people like to write it out first and other people, they'll be like, I'm just going to riff. I think right. what I've been hearing from comedians now is um, 
a newer generation of comedians are like, I'm just going to riff and write as I speak it. And they're like, oh, <laughs> like this is painful. Not that it can't be done, but not everybody is good at it. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Crowd work is a reflection of that kind of rickles and that sort of thing. Yeah. And crowd work is a very controversial topic among comedians. You know, I think it's become popular, my opinion. I think it's become a popular because comedians don't want to put their well-written jokes out on social media. Mm -hmm. Because if I put all my material on social media or YouTube, why would you pay to come see me to do the same stuff? But if I do some crowd work that I might not repeat, so therefore I can throw that out there for free. So I think I, I see a lot more of that than I used to. And, you know, is it funny? How much of that is funny? Would you pay to see an hour of that? That's debatable because again, I think like to you say, like Don Rickles, like there's certain people who are really good at it. And there are certain people who just think talking to other people is interesting. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I think it's time for our question. All right, let's do it. Okay. So this before we, this is our final question. It's very important to Mark and I. It's what we wrap up all our episodes with. But before we do that, is there anything that you'd like to bring up or throw out, promote? As we said earlier, like plausible.com, P-L-A-U-Z-Z-A-B-L-E. That's the platform. Do you have your own website also, yeah. or is that primarily? What? I mean, you can look at me at com, but that's. Why? Would why? You why? <laughs> you can look at everybody else on plausible.com, right? Like I would just say, go to plausible.com, get some, get some laughs, create a free account, check it out. Uh, nothing to hurt, nothing to download. <laughs> so. well, and wh- while you're listening to this on Monday, the 15th of January, 2024, you could do that and go right in and hear Leanne tonight showcase a bunch of great comics on this platform. So we highly encourage you to take the time, all eight of you, and do, <laughs> do that. Yeah. Mom, Dad. <laughs> um, all right, before we do ask our final question, I'm wondering right now, because to me, comedy is a bit like music, like my favorite music, it depends on the moment, the time. But right now, who are some comedians that you're really vibing with that you're enjoying? Wow. Honestly, there's not anybody that I'm not. And I'd say that. Everyone that's, sucks. Okay. Leanne Linsky said. Yeah. Everybody. Everybody's no, <laughs> no, I know there, there's nobody that I wouldn't listen to. Now I am a big fan of, I, I love listening to people I've never heard of people that are in the press a lot, you know, um, why people think, you know, this person is doing this or off the rails on that. Like I listen to all of it. Um, I learned from all of it and I have mad respect for everybody who's out there doing it. Honestly. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, so here's the big question. Mm-hmm. Are you proposing? Cause I always say yes. Married people. M&M or Foo Fighters. Oh, Oh, Hmm. I like both. I'm a big fan of Dave Grohl. Yeah. 
I'm a big fan. I we, actually we wanted to see if he would marry us when we were getting married. We had both just finished his book. So yeah, did you read his book? It's amazing. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Food fighters then. Yeah. So you're choosing food fighters. Okay. Do you want to expand on that other than the marriage proposal thing? Uh, well, it's funny. Like before I moved to Seattle, I probably would have said Eminem. Because I, I do like Eminem and I like all of his music. And then when we got to Seattle, I became, a, so my husband is a big Nirvana fan already and Foo Fighters. He's a big fan of Dave Grohl. And, um, and so then when we landed here in Seattle, uh, suddenly we, everything Seattle started coming up and I started like reading all of these books about Nirvana and all the stuff. And then I read Dave Grohl's book. And when I read his book, I'm like, oh my God, what an amazing human being. You know, like it just, yeah. And all the things that he does and the way, like, I love watching him uh, compete with a one young, uh, one young girl. who's a drummer. Yeah. Yeah. She's amazing. I love watching stuff like that. And just the way he interacts with his fans. I'm, I'm a fan. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what I love about Dave Grohl is his mom and how she just gave him the support and freedom to cut loose when a lot of parents are like, no, you're 15. You're not going in a van on the road. Yeah. It's yeah. Beautiful. And I love that he keeps kind of evolving as an artist himself and all of the things that they're doing and the different things they're doing with the recordings. And like, I think they went back to Chicago and did a bunch of different stuff. And um, yeah, I'm just like experimenting, you know, changing, changing things up. So I'm like, wow, that that's, really cool like he's not continuing like this is me and i'm going to do the same thing over and over and over and over again but he's constantly you know doing something different and talking about that vein challenges you know yeah on the floor crippled up and stands back up yep in that vein uh was just announced that at a local concert venue or festival here in the san francisco barrier called bottle rock a band called chevy metal is going to be performing at Bottle Rock and Chevy Metal was Taylor Hawkins's band, and oh. and they're going to perform and Dave's going to perform with them as a drummer. Well, I don't know exactly, but hmm. it's he's making sure that Chevy Metal does not fall apart, and, wow. and so they're they're doing a, a set here at Bottle Rock in I think it's in May in Napa area. If you want to catch the Chevy Metal, um, they're way down on the list. I had to go like through a bunch of different like the you know those posters with the forty five names in it. And I was like, what Chevy Metal? Wow. Right. Mm. Yeah. So you know you asked. I know that was the last question, and I just like to bring it back to like when you asked about vulnerability and thick skin. And I think Dave Grohl is a very example of a person who wears both well, because he continues to bring his vulnerability to his art and his music and doing those things. But boy, to keep getting back up after all of the, the hard times that he's encountered and witnessed and uh, experienced in his own life is pretty tremendous. And so when it comes down to having those two things, his bigger purpose keeps driving him forward. Yeah, I agree. And I just want to say that as someone who is very much a monogamist, that I want to uh, commend you and acknowledge you for going for a third marriage. Like I love <laughs> that, that, that you love love that much that to me in a deep way. 
Oh, well, thank you. I also throw a heck of a wedding. <laughs> well, let us know when your next one is and we'll. <laughs> no, I'm done. I've got, I found me a keeper. I am good. I've, I've practiced enough. This was a real deal. Yeah. You know, it's hella funny. It's you live up in Washington, Seattle. You guys met in a Starbucks. He's a huge Nirvana, Dave Grohl Like, There's so much drawn you to Seattle. <laughs> I know. Weird. And we met in California, and yet we're both from the Midwest. We've had so many weird crisscrosses in our life. I'm surprised wow. we didn't meet earlier. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, Thank you so much for being our guest on Moped Outlaws. This has been quite a ride, Leanne. Thank you so much. And to all our listeners, be sure and go to our website, sign up for Plausible as well, and then check out our merch. Be sure and order some swag for yourself. And if you're watching on YouTube, click those buttons. We need more. We are going to keep going. We are on this ride till death do us part, I think, Greg. And right. we are we are in for the long haul join us on this wild adventure thanks so much leanne for being with us um and i look forward to seeing you on tonight on the 15th yeah thank you thank you so much this has been an absolute pleasure recording stopped